In today's episode of Franchise You, listen to Dr. Larry Hughes with 7-Eleven talk about how they influence their franchisees. They not only tell them the what they want them to do, but they tell them the why. So by providing that important information, they're able to have wild success at 7-Eleven. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. So welcome back to Franchise You. With me today, I have Dr. Larry Hughes. And Dr. Hughes, you are the Vice President of Corporate Human Resources and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at 7-Eleven. 7-Eleven is a huge owner of convenience stores worldwide. So you're about 50-50 franchise and corporate owned. If you think about when we get talk a little bit later about the number of stores that you all have, you're a pretty big franchisor. So your experience with 7-Eleven is vast, including senior leadership roles in operations and, of course, my love, which is training. Before 7-Eleven, you worked at T-Mobile and Bath & Body Works, also two of my favorite brands. And now let's talk about your education. So you have a doctorate in human and organizational learning from George Washington University, an MBA from the University of Chicago, and you are an undergraduate of West Point. And if that's not enough, you also found the time to be an author of a book called Challenging Goliath, Leadership Lessons from the Life of King David. Whoa, that is a lot. So your career is so impressive, Larry. Can you walk us through the highlights? and maybe weave in your educational pursuits. Absolutely, Kathy. First, let me thank you for inviting me here today. Franchising is a great path for aspiring entrepreneurs, and I love talking about it, so I'm glad to be here. But i get to your question. I have been fortunate throughout my career to work with a lot of great folks, and I've had a lot of great leaders that I've been able to learn from. A lot of the great things that have happened for me in my career were a function of just being around great folks. Let me start from the beginning, though. I, I did my undergraduate work at, at West Point. And for those folks that know a little bit about the United States Military Academy, graduates do have to spend some time on active duty as, as active duty Army officers. And that's how I started my career as a field artillery officer in uh, the United States Army on active duty. And that's where I learned a lot of lessons that really shaped me for really the balance of uh, my career. And honestly, I think those lessons started really at West Point, not just in the Army. Just under five years, about four and a half years on active duty. I spent another three and a half years as a Kansas Army National Guardsman as well. But when I left active duty, I began to pursue a career in restaurants and retail multi-unit management. And I, I, I landed with KFC restaurants, area manager, and then a market manager there. Uh, I went on to Long John Silver's, uh, where I continued uh, along this multi-unit path that ultimately did uh, some time as a director of operation at Shoney's, uh, oh, which wow. is a full-service restaurant. Later on in my career, I was able to serve more senior-level roles, some senior director and uh, vice president roles with some specialty retailers. So I spent some time with Bath and Body Works. I spent time with T-Mobile's retail organization. And for the last nearly 14 years, I've been a part of the 7-Eleven family. So it's been a great ride and really, really loved it. I've found that the lessons 
the lessons, the leadership lessons that that have applied in, in the, that I've discovered over the course of my career, they really apply no matter what the sector of retail, no matter what the brand. And I've been able to apply those lessons that really go back to military, back to West throughout my career. But I can do it. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, please. I'd love to hear about that educational piece. Please go. So the education piece, I, again, I go back to my days in the military where it was really important. It was really ingrained in us that we really need to Im immerse ourselves in our craft and become experts in our craft. So when I did, made the decision to go into business, it was important that I really try to become an expert in my craft and immerse myself in my craft. And it, it made sense that I pursued an MBA. And ultimately, it's why I pursued the, the doctorate from, from George Washington University. Which is that's, no, that's e that's no easy pursuit when you're working to also get all of that education. That is really great. And I do think that having that operations background really helps you progress in a company and make a huge difference. And we'll get into those leadership lessons in, in a little bit. But Let's talk about when you led the 700-store region with over a billion dollars in sales at 7-Eleven. And maybe talk about that role and what part was franchise, what part was corporate-owned, and how you used your influence to perform at a high level. Yeah, back when I was a zone vice president, the zones were, they were mixed. So we had both a combination of franchise stores and corporate stores. And so it was, we were really challenged with growing the business on both sides. But one of the things that I heard very quickly in, in, in working with franchisees, and franchisees, by the way, are independent contractors. They own their business, right? And ultimately, they are responsible for everything that happens inside of their business. Mm -hmm. So when we are working with franchisees, it's really important to be really grounded in the business case and the rationale for everything that we want to ask a franchisee to do. So if we want to influence a franchisee, they've got skin in the game. They've invested to be a part of our brand family. And so we need to make sure that when we are attempting to influence them, that we can articulate why this is good for them and what type of return this delivers to them. And sometimes on the corporate side, we don't pay as much attention to that. We should, mm -hmm. don't always, because at the end of the day, we say go and the corporate stores go. Right. Uh, with franchisees, we have to be very deliberate in ensuring that they understand not just the what's, but the why's around the things we are asking them to do. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I've had leaders who've always talked about give the why here. That is, a, that is a great point. In your current role, Larry, you lead corporate HR and DEI. So can you tell us what your major accountabilities and goals are? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. As the corporate vice president for HR and diversity, equity, and inclusion, I've got responsibilities that, that branch off in a couple different directions. My responsibilities as the lead business partner for all of our headquarters-based functions. I'm talking about function, merchandising, marketing, IT, finance, legal. These are all client groups for my organization. And it's our job to really become thought partners to the functional leaders to really help them think about how to advance the, the, their human capital inside of their organizations. And so uh, that work revolves around everything from developing talent to helping them 
to develop strong succession plans, to helping them map out the staffing challenges, other sorts of challenges, helping them to coach through situations, challenging situations. That's all a part of what we do. And we have counterparts that support the field and stores organization as well. But my responsibilities as diversity, equity, inclusion do cover the entire enterprise. And our DE&I team is really focused on a couple things right now. The first thing that we want to do is make sure that the organization, particularly our leaders, understand that diversity, equity, and inclusion is not just the right thing to do, but it's, it is actually a business imperative. It's a business imperative. If we want to win in today's marketplace, we have got to be able to harness the power of our entire workforce and, uh, and our diversity, equity, and inclusion platforms are helping us to do that. A couple of things that we are doing, we are, one, we're focused on, on education, on how to lead in an inclusive environment. We've offered inclusive, the inclusive leader workshop to all our entire population of directors. And we are extending that to below the director population. We have a inclusive workplace offering for those folks that serve as individual contributors. So we're, first of all, educating the workforce around what it means to work in this inclusive environment. We've also launched a associate business resource group platform. Now, this is really powerful. We, in the old days, we used to call them affinity groups. Yeah, right. But associate business resource groups really allow a really focused opportunity to develop, to lead, and to really help engage folks throughout the workplace. We've had great success growing our ABRGs this year. They've grown by over 40%. I'm sorry, 400% Whoa. this year. 400% this year. We've got five, four active, one about to launch. And then we're, we're working with another group that wants to early in 2023. So we're excited and they're doing great things. They're having developmental workshops, lunch and learns with their members, networking opportunities. There's formal and informal mentoring opportunities, also internal leadership opportunities within the ABRG. And so it's really been a great, uh, a great vehicle for associate engagement and really enhancing our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work. That's great. That grassroots approach really makes a difference when it comes from within versus the top down. So that's really great. Congratulations on that. Thank well, you. Let's talk about something fun. So when I was reading about you, which there is a lot there, I read that you described yourself as a certified history buff. What do you mean by that? I was careful not to describe myself as a history expert. Yeah. I'm a history buff, which means I enjoy history. I enjoy reading about history. I'm particularly interested in, in, in U.S. history, yeah. but I'm far from a historian. But I do think it's important for us to understand uh, our past, to understand mm -hmm. where we have come from, understand our successes and failures, because I think that helps inform how we move forward as a society. Oh, totally agree with that. But I also know that if I'm ever on one of those trivia types of shows, you'll be my phone a friend with history. So that, that I'll know. That was fun. But I agree with you. I think it does inform us on how we move forward, good and bad, right? It's great to learn from mistakes. It's also great to learn from successes. So thank you for that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about 7-Eleven. So I read that the vision of 7-Eleven is to be the first choice for convenience anytime, anywhere. The simplicity of that is amazing. 
And it aligns with your founder, Joe Thompson Jr., who was quoted as saying, give the customers what they want, when and where they want it. So he founded it in 1927. And right now, you have more than 83 locations across 18 countries with more than 13,000 in the U.S. and Canada alone. So the commitment that he had is alive and well. You talked about the split with your company is 50% franchise, 50% corporate owned. So tell us a little bit more about the 7-Eleven brand and all that you offer. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I just want to make sure that folks heard 83,000. I, I, Did I say 100? 80, I think you said 83, but it's 83,000 83, yes. stores around the world. We're a pretty big change and, uh, and we're proud of it. And you're absolutely right. I think our focus on delivering for the customer, um, it's part of our DNA and it really goes back to the founding of the very first 7-Eleven store, really the very first convenience stores. And 7-Eleven did really launch the convenience store industry. So we're very, very proud of our legacy. And, and we continue to be focused on understanding what the customer wants and delivering against those customers' expectations. And in fact, we focus on exceeding those customer expectations, which includes getting the products that they want in a clean and a friendly environment. Over the years, 7-Eleven has been really on the leading edge for convenience stores in a number of ways, right? We were the first convenience store to go to a 24 seven operation and the first convenience store to sell, to go coffee and to offer self-service sodas, to even have ATMs in the store. And today we're continuing to innovate as we were the first convenience store to, to offer home delivery. And, and now we've got mobile checkout in over 3,000 stores. And that number is growing every single month. And what I think is neat about mobile checkout is you're not just standing in line to check yourself out at a self-checkout machine like you see in a lot of big box establishments. But all you need is your smartphone. And with your smartphone in the app, you can you can check yourself out uh, in any one of those stores. And again, the, the number of stores with this capability is growing uh, every single month. Wow. So, we're excited about continuing to innovate. We're excited about continuing to seek to understand what the customer wants and deliver against those expectations. Okay, that's pretty novel. The fact that you can skip a line and just use your smartphone is incredible. And you know, it really is. And some of the popular items we think of, and we think of 7-Eleven, and we think of the Slurpee and Big Gulp, right? Mm -hmm. We think of. So not only are you innovating with products, but it sounds like now you're innovating with process as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I hope I didn't give, I hope I didn't, I, I needed to share more, I think about our products and we've actually yeah. done a great deal to innovate across our product lines. And today when you walk into a 7-Eleven, it's incredible because you're going to find whatever it is you're looking for from the traditional uh, big bite hot dog with chili and with cheese, if you like it that way to, uh, to salads, fresh fruit, whole fruit, cups fruit, Cheetos, wings, bone-in wings, boneless wings, breakfast sandwiches, you name it, we've got yeah. it. And, and I don't think a lot of folks still still understand that our products are, are made fresh daily, delivered to our stores daily. Our hot items are made hot and fresh for you. So it's really high quality food, not old processed stuff that's been on the <laughs> shelf for days and days. That is pretty innovative. And I got to tell you, I think that the coffee has come so far that I actually prefer your coffee to some of the fancier brands. 
So I know with those machines now that grind the beans, it's just incredible how far that's come in and of itself. Yeah, the bean the cup machine yeah. ensures you you're you're getting the fresh the freshest no doubt because it's it, the beans are being ground right there in front of you. So it's a great way to ensure freshness. Ah, it's, it's the best, truly the best. So your mission is fun too. The mission is we make our customers' day a little more awesome by delivering fast, personalized convenience when, where, and how they want it. So it seems to be another take from your founder. How do you ensure that your franchisees are aligned to this mission? Because as you mentioned, Larry, the corporate folks will pretty much march in line. But how do you influence your franchisees to be aligned to that? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think the first thing I think everyone needs to recognize is that our franchisees, they want to be successful. They have invested in this brand and they really want to win. And so it's important, again, that we help them understand what's the path to to, to not just in a one-size-fits-all way, but to go into each store and sit down with each, with each franchisee and talk about the opportunities and the strengths that are really specific to that owner's business. What sorts of things do we need to leverage that they do well? Uh, what are the opportunities that if we close the gap, they can do better? And that's part of the value proposition of our brand is the support that we bring to the franchisees. And, and as I mentioned, really understanding and being able to articulate what's the rationale between every new initiative that we, that we bring to the store, uh, every new product that we bring, why is this product going to create more door swings? Why is it going to enhance my, my, uh, my market basket? Why is this something that I want to put on the shelf? And we have to be prepared to talk through that. Different messages resonate with, with franchisees in different ways. So we need to understand that we have to be flexible in our approach to influence a communication. Sometimes when option, option A or approach A doesn't work, we need to move to approach B. We've got to meet franchisees where they are. And we work to do that as a field leadership team. That's what we work to do all the time. And in that way, we align our franchisees so that we're delivering so that customers can be confident that they're going to get the same experience no matter where they go, franchise or corporate. That's right. And that is what's so critical with franchising. I have to smile at some of the 7-Eleven vernacular, door swings, market basket. That's all new to a, an old-time restaurant operator like me. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Love that. So let's talk just a little bit about franchising at 7-Eleven. Since 7-Eleven's really been credited with being a pioneer in franchising and consistently ranked as a top 10 franchisor. And on your website, you're still franchising. So what's the strategy for growth? So we are, particularly inside of 7-Eleven brand, franchising is still a major component of our growth strategy. I mean, it's, a, it's an important way to grow the business. The found that franchisees are, one, they're very connected to their communities and their, and their train areas. Many of them you know, live, live in those same communities where their store or stores are, and, and they are focused on, on, on growing sales and building the brand. We find that franchisees can be very nimble, that uh, they can adjust as the marketplace changes, uh, as the competitive set changes, as external or environmental challenges change. We have found that franchisees can adjust very effectively. So we can, we definitely plan 
to continue to make franchising a big portion of how we move forward. Oh, that's great. And there are three ways to franchise at a 7-Eleven. You have a traditional, multi-unit, and business conversion. What's the difference among those three? Yeah, so the traditional franchisee, think about the the single-store franchisee who, again, may be from the community where his, his store is located and really is just focused on, on building that store and really being a fixture in that community. The multi-unit store, and I mean, more than a third of our franchisees are multi-unit franchisees. They are folks that have, again, two or more stores. Now, many of them, in fact, most of them, do start as single store franchisees, as traditional franchisees. And as they learn the business, as they get more comfortable with the business system and they want to grow, they want to grow their business uh, and expand and they take on additional stores. And we've got franchisees with, with two, three, four, five, over 10 stores. And we've got some, we've got some big franchisees that are out there that they've got scores of stores. It, it, your ability to grow inside the system really is a function of when your appetite to growth and your capability to grow. And so we're proud of, of being a system that allows franchisees to really pursue their dreams and fulfill their dreams inside our system. The BCP operator is one that, that owns the land and equipment prior to becoming a 7-Eleven franchisee. And then we work with, with that incoming franchisee to convert their existing store into our brand. So getting oh. our equipment in there, getting our signage up front, add products, that sort of thing. It's really a very attractive option for folks to have existing land and existing facilities. We have found that, um, that BCP operators, when they convert their stores, their sales jump. It, it really speaks to the power of our brand right. and our business. So it's also very attractive a very attractive option for those franchisees who come to the table with these assets. Right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. So when we look at your franchise, your franchisees themselves, let's talk about them for a little bit. Describe what your franchise population looks like now with regarding demographics, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I will tell you, our franchise do, franchisees do reflect the, the diversity of our customer base. So we've got franchisees, men and women that that come from a wide range of ethnic backgrounds, different races. And, uh, and we continue to spread our net very broadly in terms of bringing folks into. It's interesting when you talk about the diversity in, inside of our stores, but we find that our diverse, our diverse owners tend to also have very diverse staff. Oh, yeah. uh, inside of their stores. And, and that's good. Can you imagine a store, for example, that's positioned in a community with a lot of uh, Spanish speaking customers and not having Spanish speaking staff? Right. Really tough to engage and engage effectively when, when that's the case. I'll tell you one other quick story. I, yeah. When I was in Seattle, we had a, uh, we had a store that had a heavy, Ethiopian customer based. And I don't know if you're familiar with injera bread, which is a, a staple, which like a, it's yes. like a flat bread. I'll, I'll get in trouble by trying to describe exactly what it is, but <laughs> it's a staple yes. in the Ethiopian community. But we had members of that community on staff in the store and they, they knew that this was an opportunity to really provide 
something that the customers in the neighborhood were looking for. And so the franchisee walked with us to source Jura and to bring it in daily, freshly made oh, daily. Wow. And when I tell you, sales and customer counts really jumped as a function of that. Great example. You know, yeah. yeah, we 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 embrace diversity in our franchisee population, and uh, we encourage them to embrace diversity in their stores. Ah, oh, that's great. It makes such a difference. But I also noted on your website where you are talking to prospective franchisees that serving in the military is noted as an important experience. Why is that? So there's there certain things that we know lead to success as a franchise owner. And we have been able to see those traits, those skills, those characteristics just at a high level in our veteran community. For example, veterans are typically very process-oriented folks. And that's part of the value of owning a, franchi- a franchise right. is that when you've got a business system, a well-defined, established business system. And then all you got to do is get your arms around it and uh, learn that system and you, it, it will help you be successful. Right. We also know that veterans focus on leadership. In fact, some of them spend their entire career really focused on how to develop teams, how to manage conflict, how to really grow and develop people. This is important. That's an important skill, an important competency inside of, inside of our our franchise and for our franchisees to have as well. Veterans come with this already. We Mm -hmm. can teach them how to operate a store. The thing that's harder to teach is some of these softer skills that they already are very good at. So we encourage, uh, and we've got tons of examples of great franchise owners out there. I imagine, and you are an example of that. Thank you for your service, as well as your CEO is an example of that. So knowing that firsthand, I think makes a big difference. But I'm looking at our time. I feel like I could talk to you forever, Larry. I'm going to plug a couple of things. First of all, you wrote a book and I'm just like so impressed with that. And you wrote a leadership book and you focused on the biblical leader, David, who was able to beat Goliath with limited experience or ability. Why did you choose David? Thank you. Thank you for mentioning the book. I appreciate that. I think the first decision I made was, was I going to use a character, a, a personality from the Bible? And I decided Yes, I wanted to do that to illustrate the timelessness of many of these principles. Oh, yeah. uh, and then once I decided on using scripture to, to, to highlight the lessons, I landed on David for a couple of reasons. One, even folks who don't regularly study the Bible have some familiarity with, with King David. Using some of what people were familiar with, I thought was important. The other thing mm-hmm. is that there's so much in scripture about David that there were a number of lessons to choose from. So content was was readily available as, as well. So that's why I gave it, that's my figure from scripture. So you have to give us a favorite lesson or two. Yes, I will. But I will tell you that it's saying which son do I love the most? Oh, they, I gotcha. They're different, but but they they, they both have unique skills and, and, and personality quirks. But for me, I will tell you the lesson that I think resonates the most okay. is a lesson about assessing your setbacks and your failures to ensure that you can go forward more effectively. And the reason I think it resonates with so many folks is that is that uh, we're flawed people, but we make mistakes. We're not perfect leaders. We're not perfect people. David was not a perfect person or was a flawed as a leader as well. And so what I wanted to illustrate with that lesson was 
we don't have to be perfect people, but we do need to, to sit down, examine those setbacks, examine those mistakes and extract the lessons from them so that we can move forward more effectively in the future. Oh, that's great. All great leaders really do accept mistakes. It's what you learn from them. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. And that is a, that looks like a fantastic book. I know that I've ordered it, so I'm anxious to get it because I think it'll help me a lot as well. So let's, I have two last questions. So first of all, you've had quite a career. Oh my goodness. What is the one thing that you are most proud of in your career? I think for me, being able to see others and impact the careers of others and see them be successful, that's been really important for it's, it's something that I have focused on really throughout my career. How do I help others to, to really, really understand how they can improve and how they can be the best leaders that they can be. And at one point in time, I'm really proud to say I looked down at our population of, uh, uh, zone vice presidents and four of the zone vice presidents. I think we had 12 zones at the time, but four of them actually worked for me at some point in their career. And, oh, wow. and, and let, let me say, they were incredible people to start with, but I do like to, I do to believe that maybe I offered them something, even help them to be even more effective going forward. So I'm really proud of, of being able to impact other people's careers. Ah, oh, that's great. And my last question for you, is there anything you wish you had known when you entered the world of franchising so many years ago? I think understanding that, that there is a difference uh, between the franchise owner and the corporate store operator and that our approach does change a little bit, that there are, that we really got to ensure that we understand that these owners have got skin in the game, so to speak, right. they're invested in the business, they're owners. It's all about influence. We've got to move away from the tell direct approach and we've got to begin to uh, embrace this discussion of, of rationale and benefits. And I think once I really understood that, I think I was a much more effective leader uh, at 7-Eleven and I engaged our franchisees at a, at a much more productive level, much more productive way. That makes total sense. Dr. Larry Hughes, you have really been wonderful. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. You are quite welcome, Kathy. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for being our guest on FranchiseU. FranchiseU is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.